This episode will cover my hike on Wudang Shan in Hubei province in China back in 2012. If you have a chance, I'd suggest you take a listen to my other podcast series called The Sutra of the Inner Teachings of Drukpa Kunli as transmitted to Jonathan May Spent of the USA. Um, I relocated to China mostly because of that whole affair that's described in that series. So if you, I mean, you can listen to this podcast on its own. It's a standalone thing, but in the context of everything that happened in that series, I think this podcast might make a little more sense. So basically after I disentangled myself from the circumstances of my ex-girlfriend back in 2011, I was pretty beat up in many ways. I I suffered vocationally. I had returned to Boston from Savannah, Georgia after leaving my ex-girlfriend. My mother refused to help me until I returned to Boston. Um, And eventually I got an apartment and worked as a dog walker in Boston. This is shortly after I returned there. I'd suffered the career-ending relationship with my ex-girlfriend and the criminal conspiracy which sought to gaslight me into personal ruin. I survived the ordeal of my career imploding through the bullying, rape, theft, fraud, and misrepresentation by a conspiracy of criminals. I was in Boston with difficult options, though. Like, I had gone through all of this, and I was back in Boston, but it was difficult. Despite having grown up in Boston as a kid, attended university there, graduate school, and law school there, after I returned to Boston in 2012, there really wasn't a single person who called me or sought me out. My isolation has always been a function of anosognosia of autism, as well as the factitious disorder regarding my own health, regarding the autism. I developed a tendency towards isolation as a way of handling my atypical neurology without understanding that, but that's what I learned how to do, to isolate. There was no one in the city of millions, there was no one in Boston, which I considered my hometown, who reached out or extended to me any tangible help after that. It had been about 10 years for me to get my legal career established, And during that time, I struggled, as I have my whole life, with patterns of self-isolation, dissociation. When I lost my teaching job as a university professor and I closed down my law practice, I was left with nothing. After my career collapsed, my family provided no help. It was only after months of begging that I received help with rent and finding an apartment. I was living in an apartment, walking dogs in Boston, and I I wasn't doing very well. I couldn't get a real job anywhere. Ultimately, I got hired to teach English in China. I just want to take the time here in this podcast to thank everyone I met and worked with while I was in China. It was that big of a thing for me. In a separate podcast, I'm I'm going to do another separate podcast that focuses more on living and working in in China as someone who was anosognosia of autism. I really think it's important to cover that period of my life. 
I'm very grateful for the experiences that I had. And I feel that if I had not gone overseas to China, I probably wouldn't be here right now speaking into a microphone. You, you wouldn't be listening to me. So my hike on Wudang Shan Mountain holds a lot of meaning to me because I consider it the beginning of my development of self-awareness of the autism that I have. Developing an understanding of my autism that doesn't have any contrivance without the factitious disorder on top of it. My own journey on the path of life was made possible by reconnecting with the wisdom of Taoism. My own self-nature in motion. This is the attainment, and perhaps it's different from others, but it's still the same Taoist ideal. Having autism is not an impediment to living in the Tao. My journey on foot in mountains is what I consider to be the greatest antidote to the delusion I lived with. Just walking, just breathing, nothing special. At the time I ascended Mount Wudangshan, I didn't understand myself. It is my belief that the universe has regarded me and felt compassion for me. Somehow, in spite of all of the things that happened, I made it to China. Somehow I made it onto the Appalachian Trail. Somehow I figured out my autism and the factitious disorder regarding my autism. Somehow. My life had gotten impossible. And I'm, I'm just so lucky in so many ways. I went to China with no options, like every other person who's ever emigrated to a foreign civilization for purposes of work has done since the beginning of time. I'd been living in a society where my social communication with others always seemed distorted by my own flawed understanding of myself. Now in China, I was in a society where I was functionally illiterate and all verbal social communication was difficult. Everything was difficult. It was something about being foist into this situation which had the effect of helping me. I had no reason to feel the anxiety from how people reacted to me because it was normal. It was because I was a foreigner. It all had a context that was away from the something I didn't have a good understanding of. I didn't understand why some people really disliked me and other people really liked me. I didn't understand why some people like people with autism and other people really dislike people with autism in the United States. In China, there wasn't any of that. It was just that I couldn't speak Chinese and I was a foreigner. Living in China caused me to shift inside, internally, but in a good way. There was legitimate anxiety I had over there, quite a bit of it, but it was something that I could understand. It wasn't something that I didn't understand. You know, It was something well understood. It was because I was a foreigner. I didn't speak Chinese. This has to be contrasted with the anxiety caused by not understanding that I have autism and not understanding why it is that people react the way they do to me in the United States. People did react differently differently to me while I was in China. It's somewhere in this world of lost in translation that I regained something. 
I'll discuss this in more detail. I'll discuss in more detail my experiences in China. It'll be in another podcast. But the listener should understand that I really view my hike on Wudang Shan as the first journey in the mountains where I finally started to develop self-awareness. It was in November that I arrived in China from Boston. I had been assigned to a foreign language school in the Hanyan district of Wuhan. I know that many people may never have heard of Wuhan. It certainly is not a well-known city outside of China. Especially these days in 2023, I bet most Americans, most people in the world have never heard of Wuhan. Of course, I'm completely joking. I don't think anyone on earth does not know where Wuhan is. But back in 2011, I don't think anybody really, a lot of people outside of China didn't know much about Wuhan. <laughs> so when I was there, it, it was... um. It was not as well-known a city. Wuhan has a population of about 12 million people, and it's comparable in size to Los Angeles. Uh, And interestingly, Wuhan has been continuously inhabited as a human settlement for over 3,500 years. To put that in perspective, Wuhan was founded around the time the first Egyptian mummies were being created. Wuhan was a city when the earliest known depictions of a wheeled vehicle were created. On my first day in Wuhan, I was terrified as I arrived, utterly terrified as the plane landed. My friend from the company met me at the airport. He is a great man. But when I first got to Wuhan, I I was not assigned any classes yet. They're not quite sure what to do with me. I looked around for things to do. I started to become interested in the Shinonjila Mountains to the west of Wuhan. I had a lot of free time. In western Hubei province are the Shinonjila Mountains. And within these mountains is the holy Taoist mountain of Wudangshan. I remembered from my studies how Zhuangwu had ascended to heaven from Wudangshan. In Taoism, there is a belief that through cultivation of the Tao, a person can achieve immortality, transcendence, if you will. Zhuangwu is translated as dark warrior. He's also sometimes called Zhenwu, or true warrior. He originally was a prince who decided to leave society and cultivate Tao on Mount Wudangshan. And please, if you are a listener who can speak Mandarin really well, I, I humbly apologize about my pronunciation in this paper. I've been trying more at getting the story than trying to authentically pronounce <laughs> Mandarin. I, I'm not fluent in Mandarin. I just wanted to mention that. In the stories about Zhuangwu, on his way to Wudangshan, he meets several people who seem to test his morality. Zhuangwu gives his horse to a man who needs to get his sick wife help. There's a poor man who must pay a bully or... Give his daughter to the bully. Zhuangwu gives the bully every penny he has with him. And the bully leaves the poor man alone. After the Zhuangwu has nothing except the clothing on his body, Zhuangwu the warrior shows his compassion and desire to prevent suffering of those he meets. So Zhuangwu's mother comes and tries to persuade him to come back 
to leave the mountain and come back to the palace, to become a prince again. She wanders and she cries for her son. And so on Wudangshan Mountain, there are paths that are called, this is literally what the paths are called. They're called the winding paths of the calls of the mother. So Zhuangwu doesn't heed these calls. And eventually he finds a Taoist master on the mountain who agrees to train him. After many years of practice, day in, day out, all day, Zhuan Wu becomes discouraged. And he finally does. He wants to go home. He wants to see his mom again. He starts walking down the mountain to go home, to go back to the palace, to end his cultivation of Tao. On the way, he met an old woman who was grinding an iron rod on a stone. He asked her what she was doing. She said she needed a needle to sew her daughter's wedding dress. Shuamu asked her, why didn't she go to a store and buy a needle there? And she said that this would be a fine needle when it's done. It might take a couple years, but it'll be a very good needle when it's done. So Zhuangwu, who was just about to quit on his cultivation of Tao, understood the me- this meeting to be that to be a portent that if he continued in his cultivation, he would eventually reach and and achieve to what he wanted. That he would succeed if he didn't quit. So he resumed the cultivation of Tao. And there's a temple on Mount Wudangshan that's called Grinding Needle Temple, which references this story. It is said that he became so attuned to the Tao that animals would not harm him. Tigers, wolves, and bears would sit next to Zhuangwu as he meditated. And squirrels and monkeys and birds would bring him offerings of nuts and fruit. It's said that he was so deep in meditation that a bird built a nest in his hair. Zhuangwu is said to have ascended to heaven along with five dragons. Each of the dragons is one of the five character traits which he purified. The five traits are impermanence, ego, social bonds, rituals and habits, and natural needs. I have found out books about how to seal the five senses. It's a a practice, a meditational Qigong practice, I believe. But I'm not sure if this is the same thing or if that's even related to the five dragons that are in the Zhuang Wu story. But I just mentioned it. Um, so Zhuang Wu, again, means dark warrior, but his name is also Zhen Wu, or true warrior. And he is considered to be an avatar of the supreme Taishang Laozun, who is one of, one of the three highest gods in Taoism. I find it very interesting that within Taoism, there's a concept of deity and avatar. For instance, in Hinduism, Lord Vishnu comes to earth and appears at, to Arjun as Krishna. Or, and the different Hindu deities come to earth and take a form as an avatar. There's a similar thing going on within the Taoist tradition, but there are significant differences. I just mentioned it. It's a, it's a concept that seems to be shared in both Taoism and Hinduism. I'll note that Taishang Laojun is considered to be one of the three pure ones of Taoism. 
These are the three pure gods. They're also considered three perfected deities. Now, Zhuangwu is considered to be an avatar of Taishang Laozun. Lao Tzu, who wrote the Tao Te Ching, the sage Lao Tzu, is also considered to actually have been Taishang Laozun. So, that's an interesting thing, which, you know. The Wudangsheng area is also where martial arts were first believed to have been formalized into something close to what we have today. Back then, it was unarmed people organizing to protect themselves from bandits and criminals. Back in 2012, when I found myself in Wuhan, and so close to a place like Wudangshan, I just had to go there. But it's worth noting that during this period, I still didn't have a lot of self-awareness. I had a flawed self-awareness. I did not go to Wudangshan with any sort of goal of attainment, or even, I wasn't even thinking of going there to pray. I just wanted to go and check it out. I do not consider my journey to Wudangshan to have, have been with the intent of doing a pilgrimage. At that point in time, I had never even done a pilgrimage. After my visit to Wudangshan, I felt I had communicated with something greater than myself. I felt this presence to have guided me on a journey of self-awakening to who I actually am. So, anyway, I went and I got my train ticket online. Near the school in Hanyang, in Wuhan, was a main road that brought me to the Wuhan metro. I made it to one of Wuhan's cavernous train stations. They always seemed teeming with people, poorly lit. All the train stations I visited in China were modern. My memory of them is all about the size of them, that they were all really big. I had got a, a sleeper car for my ticket. When I found my car, I sat down. Across from me was an old Chinese man. I nodded at him and said, how are you? He did not seem in the mood to be sharing a sleeper car with a lone, goofy-looking Westerner. I pretty quickly had the sleeper compartment all to myself. I can understand, but I certainly didn't do anything aside from being a foreigner. I dozed off on the train. Eventually, it rolled out from Wuhan and up into farmland, up into the hills. I awoke, and I was at the train station for Wudangshan. I decided to take a train to a station as close to the mountain as possible so that I didn't have to go into Shiryan, the closest major city. The train dropped me off, and it was just before dawn. It was still dark out. I was alone on the train platform. <laughs> Nearby, there was a drab concrete building. This was the cheapest room close to the mountain. I'd get a room when I came back. In the darkness, I wandered down to the road from the train's platform. Under fluorescent lights, there were men preparing breakfast. They were steaming stuffed buns and making tea, hot tea. I had some tea, I had some buns. They were, they were quite delicious. I had used Google Translate on my iPad to have certain phrases ready, so I showed the men my iPad. Where is road to Wudangshan? The men perked up at this. They were kind of happy. They moved around. They rushed around a bit. Nearby on the road, there was a minivan that was idling in the cold pre-dawn gray. The men went over and motioned for me to follow. I grabbed my backpack and headed over. The minivan, built to comfortably seat six, 
had perhaps 20 people crammed into it. Now all we need is an overweight American to make things perfect. After some repositioning, I had what I can only presume to be a 90-year-old grandmother sitting in my lap. She pretended not to look at me as the minivan bounced up and down and chugged up the mountain roads. I sure do hope she had a good ride. I was dropped off at the entrance to the Wudongshan World Heritage Site. There was a lot of parking for buses, a bunch of gift shops and restaurants that weren't open yet because I was there so early. I walked around and checked out the reproduction Ming Imperial buildings there and the statues. I bought my ticket when the gates opened. There was a shuttle bus. I got on and I headed to Purple Cloud Temple. When I got off the shuttle, I was struck by the architecture and the layout of the temple. I'd never been any place like this. It's a really beautiful place. There were several levels up with many temples. Outside the gate of the temple area, on each side, there were giant tortoises. It was here that people could offer incense or burn an offering. People often use fake money or low-denomination jiao bills to make prayers. I hadn't purchased any incense, and I didn't have a lot of money, but I did burn some small denomination bills, and I found some unburned incense that I used. The weather wasn't very good. It was cold. It was overcast. Although the sun would randomly burst through the clouds, and it was kind of in a very stunning way. At Purple Cloud Temple, I first found the Taoist deity, Mother of the Big Dipper, who was also known as Dumo. I was fascinated because I had never spent any time in a Taoist temple before. The statue was beautiful, and I studied the meaning of the symbols around the temple. The Big Dipper has many meanings. It can be seen as a vessel that transports the living to the heavens. The Big Dipper is also a constellation that's associated with transformation. It's also, in Chinese astronomy, it's associated with yin or female energy. Interestingly, in ancient China, only women used mirrors. Thus, it was only women who were capable of seeing their true selves. The importance given to the Big Dipper led to the recognition of Taoist Buddhist goddess Dumo. Dumo, the Big Dipper, the maiden of the Big Dipper, gave birth to the North Star and to the seven stars of the Dipper. Now in Taoism, all of the gods are associated with celestial bodies. I walked around some more. There was a small path that didn't have any signs. I wanted to go check it out. And after rounding some rocks, I found myself at a complex where the priests and workers must have lived. That would be kind of an interesting thing. Working up on Wudangshan, I think that would be fascinating. The weather that day was just so cold and overcast, though. I opted to take the shuttle bus to its next stop, which was close to Lao Tzu Temple. It was a short drive up the winding road. As we gained elevation, the trees became covered in white. It had snowed and there was freezing rain. What a perfect day to be up on Mount Wudangshan. You might think I'm joking, and yet it was brutally cold and icy. However, 
This meant that I was basically entirely alone on the mountain, except for the Taoist monks and park workers. So in a way, it really was a perfect day, because I was up there by myself. I walked down to where Lao Tzu Temple was located. Unlike Purple Cloud Temple, in my mind, in my memory, this building looked drab and old. It was not brightly painted. At least that's how it stands out in my mind. It, it very well may be, but my memory of it is is not that. I remember coming down a stone path from the road. The trees were all full of red prayer flags tied to branches by people who were seeking a blessing. Some of the trees were filled with thousands of these flags, and they were red with Chinese characters written in black on them. In my mind, I can still see the entrance to Lao Tzu Temple, and I walk down. Inside the courtyard, inside the temple, is a large painting of the master Lao Tzu, seated on the back of a water buffalo. I went into the temple itself. It's very small, not very large. A Taoist priest was reading and performing some ritual as I entered. I looked around the hall at the statues. I examined the inside of the temple. I was wearing a pair of hiking shoes. They were Merrill Moabs. They had good soles. I was wearing a Gore-Tex rain jacket. I was staying warm while moving around, but it was very cold out. I remember pondering the image of Lao Tzu as I walked out. As I made it to the exact threshold of the temple, both of my feet swept out from under me. The ground was dry where my feet shot out from under me. There was no ice there. I landed squarely on my ass. And for a moment, I was so surprised, a new Chinese phrase popped into my mind. Shama? Literally, I was sitting there, shocked, because I wasn't sitting just a second ago. From about 30 yards away, I heard peals of laughter. I looked, and an old woman was standing on the path. She was dressed in a jacket and a hat. She was by herself. She seemed to find what had happened to me to be perhaps the funniest thing that she had ever seen. This had the effect of causing me to start laughing because there I was, sitting on my ass in the threshold of the Temple of Lao Tzu, now providing entertainment to the locals up there on the side of Wudangshan Mountain. I mean, I, I mean, not local people, I mean the local person because it was me and that old woman. There was nobody else around. After what seemed like a while, but was probably just seconds, less than a minute, I stood up. At that moment, I was 100% positive that a power greater than myself had caused me to fall down. Why? It was to get my attention. It was because, after coming all this way to a place where there really is a Taoist immortal, I should not be leaving so soon. Someone wanted me to think, of, to think that, because that's what I thought. So I went back into the temple. The Taoist priest now seemed a little more interested in me. He still had stuff he was doing, but he kind of looked at me a bit. I doubt he had really heard anything. I didn't make a big commotion. But 
he may have been wondering about about who the old lady laughing was. She was kind of loud. I nodded to him, and then I, I focused on the deity. And I stood there, and I focused my mind, and I fixed my mind on something. Thoughts went through my mind. I tried to make a mental presentment to a deity who I was unsure of how to do that, what would be a a good thing for me to be thinking. I've made mental offerings to Buddha in the past as a way of making a prayer. In my mind, I pledged that I would continue my walk up the icy mountain trails and would make it to the golden summit without falling. I felt that if I did this, surely I would get some kind of boon from the god. The deity would be impressed by my walking skills and would give me some kind of reward. That that was the whole point of tripping me in the threshold. After a few minutes, I left the temple again. This time, I walked out of the temple with nothing odd happening. <clears throat> when I got outside, I looked around, but the old woman was nowhere to be seen. I continued. I followed the path. I had goosebumps. I felt like I was in a dream. The path started to get very icy as I was walking along the path. And so the Wudang Chang, it's important to understand that there are actually balusters, banisters on this stone path. This was designed by the emperor of China. And so all the temples up there are connected by these stone paths that are hundreds of years old. I came upon a Taoist priest who was walking on some stairs, and as I passed him, I slipped. He grabbed my arm, and he caught me, and he kept me from falling. And he really kind of kept me from falling down quite a few quite a few stairs. I smiled, and I thanked him. He said in English that I, I should be careful, and I thanked him again. I kept on down the stairs. I started to question why I was doing this. I'm up on the side of a mountain in China. There's nobody else around. It's just, it was too icy. That area, which I believe is called Crow Ridge, I came around a copse of trees. And there's a cliff there. And on the cliff, as I drew closer... The trees were, I could hear birds. I could hear birds coming from the trees. As I got closer, I could see in the trees that there were hundreds or maybe even thousands of birds. I'm not entirely sure what they were, what kind of birds they were, but I believe that they had all flocked to this tree because the weather had gotten very cold. It was an ice storm, so perhaps they were there to try to keep each other warm. As I drew closer... It became a cacophony of birdsong, filling my ears. On the side of this windswept mountain, by myself, all of the sounds became birds. The path was so icy that I literally started to skate on it. I would slide along the path. It was kind of fun. And I didn't fall down. 
I know how to ice skate. I used to play ice hockey. So I'm a very good skater. I can also ski. So there might be other people who would have turned around and gone home, but I kind of enjoyed it a great deal. Perhaps too much. Oh, and I didn't fall down. I didn't fall down. The route I took passed through an area called Crow Ridge, I believe, and up so directly from Lao Tzu Temple, I hiked that path. I didn't see anyone else walking on the path with me, and so I walked alone from Lao Tzu Temple to Golden Summit. I walked to Nanyan Temple. It's built on cliffs. This is where there's an altar that extends out over a maybe 1,000-foot precipice. And a devotee, somebody who wants to make an offering, must walk onto a narrow stone beam that's maybe as wide as a single foot. And they have to walk out over on this beam, and the drop is thousands of feet to get to the altar to make the offering. At this point, I was in Nanyan. I was studying the altar. There was no way I was going to tempt fate on this journey. <laughs> I, I'd, already, I'd already entered into an agreement not to fall on my climb up, but I wasn't going to tempt fate by, by trying to climb out on this, this thing. Who, who did I have anything to prove to? I don't have anything to prove to anybody. Wudangshan is truly an incredible place with many temples. But it also has temples that are built into caves. So along the path, also along the path, are many stone inscriptions. The trees as you walk are full of red prayer flags. There were even some, so there are are some amenities up along the path. Like there's kind of like a tea shop or a place where you can buy food and drink. They're very small. I was literally the only person climbing that day on the route. So when I showed up, the workers were very surprised to see me. And my Mandarin was so basic that we didn't, we couldn't really communicate much. I would stop and say hi to Taoist priests at the temple caves that I passed. There were a couple. I'd say there were maybe two or three priests up in, the, in these little temples. Uh, they were similarly surprised to see me on a day like this. I, I don't think they were expecting anybody. The ice in some places on the path was like glass. It covered everything. Trees, rocks, the ground. I skated. I slid. I walked on the edge of the path. As I made my way up and up, I slipped, but I did not end up on my ass again. It became foggy up there, too. It was very mysterious. I I even had snow flurries. It was snowing for a little bit. Eventually, I made it all the way up to Golden Summit. Just as I did so, just as I got to the top, I was up there. I looked up above me, and the gray sky started to brighten. And overhead, directly over Golden Summit, the sky cleared, and you could see blue. Just a patch directly overhead. I walked around the summit. It's a beautiful area up there. I didn't have the the incredible views because it was kind of foggy. But it cleared up a little bit. I kind of could look around, but I'd love to go up there when it was clear. There was a priest up there who regarded me as he threw I Ching. My Chinese is so bad. It was so bad at that point, And I didn't want to offend him. I didn't want him to think I was... I just, I just didn't want to ruin how I was feeling. 
So I avoided inquiring what the hexagrams were, but I kind of wish I knew what he threw there in terms of the I Ching. Up around Golden Summit on the top of the mountain, there is a Taoist monastery, which has additional temples on the very top of the mountain. At the summit, there were a lot more people, and I was surprised because I hadn't seen anyone coming up on my climb. I was the only person climbing up the mountain. It was then that there were some nice people. It was two young ladies. They, I took a picture of them. They took a picture of me. We were doing that kind of thing. They were very nice. They told me that I, we needed to hurry to the tram, or I needed to hurry to the tram. Um, it was in very broken English, but I figured out that these kind people were informing me that I would soon be spending the night on Golden Summit. I had no sleeping bag. If I had had camping gear that day, I probably would have found a place to sleep up there. I That might have been my last day in China. They might have kicked me out if I was trespassing up there. But I would have found a way to sleep up there on the top of that mountain. I rushed down to where the tram is. There's a gondola. I call it a tram, but it's more of a gondola that goes up and down the mountain on one side. I was the only person there. I'm pretty sure I was the last rider down that day. So as the gondola slid down the mountain, eliminating all the altitude that I'd gained in perfect silence, I thought about what an amazing hike I had. When I got to the bottom of the hill, I um, I looked around, I found... Um, I, so the gondola took me all the way down to the very bottom. So I could have taken a gondola all the way up in the morning, but... I'm glad. I'm really glad I didn't. <laughs> that that night, I took a taxi back to the to the little hotel next to the train station. I really, honestly, don't know how I managed that, but somehow I did. I think it was all that iPad. I I had really planned meticulously, so I tried to have every phrase available, like saved to my iPad that I might need. So back when this all happened, back in 2012, I had not done the thousands of miles of hiking that I've done. And looking back, I was so different from how I am now. I'd say without my hike on Wudangshan, I'm not sure if any of my other hikes would have ever happened. And this is why I consider my journey towards self-acceptance of autism to ultimately have really started in China on Wudangshan Mountain. It would take many more footsteps, many more mountains climbed, before I would come to terms with who I actually am, before I would receive enough information to understand who I am, that I have autism. This hike on Wudangshan is one of a small number of times when I had something happen that only can be understood by me. And... It's interesting because in my life, the the profound moments where I really have felt in communion with something, they've really only been in the context of these religious pilgrimages. I haven't had a lot of... I, I've never had anything as, as significant as this. There, there's a couple other instances when I've had a communication or felt that I was in touch with something... They've all happened when I was doing a long distance or, a, or some sort of pilgrimage. Long distance hiking or doing pilgrimages.
As I look back in my mind now, I feel that I was drawn to Wu Dangshan from thousands of miles away. Xuan Wu is a giant tortoise who drifts around the sky and looks after the northern end of the cosmos. I hope that listeners found this podcast interesting.